This is WPCast, the tactical podcast where we help you accelerate your business with WordPress. I'm Doug from PodWP, where we specialize in designing and hosting podcast websites. And I'm David from FatCat Apps, where we build WordPress plugins such as easy pricing tables and easy opt-ins that drive conversions. This is episode 27, seven lessons we learned about product validation, where we are talking about product validation, getting feedback on your product, pricing, and launching. How are you doing, Doug? Doing pretty well. So we're back in Chiang Mai this time, finally uh, doing another podcast recording in person. Yeah, you're sitting in front of a uh, closet to <laughs> yeah. trying to get the, the sound quality right. quality. Yeah. So, all right, I guess we'll get started with the changelog. So we want to say thanks to our latest podcast, Five Star Reviews. So Matt Medeiros, who was on a couple of episodes ago, and we also got a five-star review from Mary D. Thanks a lot. It really means a lot to us. Um, yeah, it, it really motivates us to keep yeah. Thanks. So, Doug, you launched a WordPress plugin, right? Yeah, so I recently launched the iTunes Podcast Review Manager plugin. Probably come up with a better name at some I, point. I think that's, that's <laughs> great for our keywords and, uh, you know, search. So I think you should probably keep it. <laughs> So basically what this plugin does is it aggregates your international reviews for your podcast, or you could put somebody else's podcast URL in too, and it puts them in a table. So this basically makes it easier for us to see who's given us reviews on, on our podcast. Yeah. And the, and the big thing is that when you go on iTunes, usually you only see the reviews from the country in which you're in, which for most people would be the United States, but you don't yeah. get all those international reviews you, from UK, Australia. Yeah. And you also can't see all the reviews. I think uh, last I checked, it's only the first three, maybe. It doesn't seem to show the, the most recent ones. So this, I think, will be helpful to other podcasters, especially. Yeah. And there are some existing solutions, but they all like didn't work properly. And there were a lot of issues with them. So you just took matters in your own hand and uh, yeah. built this, right? This was another one of those things that it's, um, you know, to scratch your own itch. And there was a, a plugin called CommentCast, or I, I believe it, it was an app. And it, it's no longer available in the App Store and then there was a service called ReviewCast and their website kept going down. So I just decided to make it myself. Nice. So yeah, and I saw the plugin. It looks great. And we'll have a link in the show notes to yep. your plugin. So I'm excited about that. Let's move on to the core. And this week we've got a voicemail from Kyle. Hey guys. Thanks a lot for the podcast. I really love it. You guys are awesome, and I listen to every episode. My name's Kyle Maurer, and I just wanted to shoot a question your way because I'd be very interested in your answer and your insight on this. We are developing a couple premium WordPress plugins, and this will be our first time entering the commercial plugin space for WordPress products. And so I was really interested in hearing more about what you guys think about kind of experimenting with the market and, and learning more about what people's potential interest in the product would be before actually releasing it. I'm interested in tactics for that and ways to get people to perhaps beta test the product, for people to demo it, and to get real feedback before releasing it, which will help us determine how valid the idea is, how to price it, and best strategies for actually releasing it and, and sending it out into the wild. 
this is a big venture for us and I'm really excited about it. And I think our plugin is really fantastic, but I'd just like to get more insight on how valid the idea is and where the interest in the market would be for something like this. So I'd just be interested in hearing you guys talk about something like this on a future episode. Either way, you guys are awesome and the podcast is great. Thanks a lot for contributing this valuable weekly show to the community. So thanks for the voicemail, Kyle. Kyle's site is realbigmarketing.com if anyone wants to go and check that out. So we're going to start by talking about the research. And one of the things to do first is to check on the search volume for the keywords. This is a pretty good indicator of whether people are even looking for your products. And you, you can also try a bunch of different keywords to figure out how to name your products. Yeah. Uh, so the, the go-to tool would probably be the Google AdWords Keyword Planner, I think is the current, yeah. that's the current name of, of Google's Keyword Research. Yeah, tool. that's pretty much the go-to place, I think, to uh, to look for the for this yeah. data. There's better tools out there, but I think just for basic research, that's good enough. And the other thing that you want to look at is, is the demand, for example, in the WordPress directory, are there plugins that do tackle somewhat similar problems and are they getting traction, are they getting downloads? So, of course, what we just said, this would apply to something that's more of a aspirin type of product where somebody has a very specific pain point that they're trying, that they're actively looking to fix. So it could be the case that your product is not something that people are searching for. It's something that is that they, they might need, but maybe they don't know that they need it, so they're not looking for it. And usually it's much more difficult to market those kind of things and but at the same time they can also be very very profitable and it might be easier to you know enter some kind of market that is empty and there's very little competition i just personally have very little experience dealing with those kind of things yeah i think it's it's a big risk if you're right then it can pay off well but if you're wrong then you know it'll look like you should have known from the beginning that there wasn't an interest. So I think for a first time product, it's probably not a good idea to try to, you know, invent a new market. If you have some successful products or, you know, you're secure financially or otherwise, then it's probably a bit easier to take that risk. Yeah. So the other thing you can do to validate your idea is to talk to prospects and that's something that I, well, with easy pricing tables, I didn't do it at all because I just knew that I just really wanted it, the product for myself and I just knew that it was going to work out. But uh, um, with easy opt-ins, I, again, I'm kind of scratching my own itch, but also I, I did talk to a couple of people that I, whose opinion I really trust and respect who could be potential customers and just kind of see what their insights are. But that being said, I have never done like a large scale, you know, like cold calls for customer development or, or even like a large scale cold email outreach for customer development. There are people who are doing that successfully, but I just have no experience with it. Yeah. So with my products, services rather, with Efficient WP, which right now I'm, my main branding is with Pod WP, but I was trying to sell Efficient WP as a reseller platform. And I did talk to some prospects before I started working on it. Ultimately, that didn't work out. And looking back, it seems like a really bad idea. And now I know why. But, you know, this goes into our, our next topic of just because people tell you it's a good idea doesn't mean that they'll pay for it. With 
a lot of products and services, depending on who you're talking to, a lot of people, you know, they want to be nice and maybe they would actually use your product, but until you actually get people to pay for it, you really don't know if anyone will pay for it. Somebody, you know, verbally agreeing to buy your product and somebody actually giving you their credit card are two very different things. And there could be a huge variation between those numbers. Yeah. And what I've seen a lot of people do is they have this product idea or, you know, this even this beta version of this product and, you know, they're, they're showing it to you and they're asking you for feedback maybe, but they're not asking you, would you pay for this? Or, you know, do you want to like, you can like prepay and maybe get a discount or something like yeah. that. So I think a lot of people probably want to make you like feel good and they want to be nice to you. So they're just going to be like, yeah, it looks all right. But uh, the rubber really meets the road when people have to pull the credit cards out to pay for yep. something. So in the last episode of WP Cast, we had Dan Norris on and he talked about his experiences with validation on his SaaS product called Informally. And if you want to go to the episode, it's uh, wpcast.fm slash wpcurve. So basically with Informly, he built a analytics aggregator or dashboard that would uh, it would send client reports and make nice looking Google Analytics charts. And I'm actually a customer and I think it's a good product. And a lot of people told him it was a good product, you know, when he was doing, you know, the free version and he had, uh, you know, a lot of people going to his site and promoting him. But when it came to actually getting paid users, he didn't make that much. I think he, he got to under $500 a month. Yeah. And his month's expenses were two and a half thousand or so. Yeah. And I, I remember he then even was on uh, This Week in Startup, Jason Gallicanus' podcast. Yeah. And Jason Gallicanus went on record on his podcast saying that he thinks it's a great idea and a great yep. industry. And the, the thing just completely flopped. Nobody paid for it. Yeah, he got he got some pretty big press, like some some big uh, tech sites written up on those. And, you know, everything looked really impressive. And it was surprising how that, that just didn't didn't work. And he also wrote a book on this. And again, you know, if you listen to the last episode, you know, we talk about this in more detail. But the book is called The Seven Day Startup. You don't learn until you launch. And he also wrote a blog post, which was a precursor to the book and the blog post is called is startup validation bullshit. And this, I really found this blog post to be fascinating because he went into all the details and all the numbers and, you know, really kind of putting out, you know, his products, you know, everything out there. So it was really, uh, really interesting to, to see that level of openness. Yeah. So let's move on to beta testing, which was another part of your question. So me personally, I've never done a large scale beta. What I have done, what I'm doing right now, again, with easy opt-ins is that um, I've basically sent, I've sent a plug to a couple of people whose opinion I really respect and I'm trying to get some feedback from them. But I'm not like super... Um, to be honest, I'm not really strategic about it and it might be something that might be worth doing, but I'm just doing it real low key, just sending it to a couple of friends who would be interested in using the product and trying to, to get them to use it and trying to get their yeah. feedback on it. So there's different purposes for beta testing. And, you know, one obvious one would be to try to iron out all of the bugs before your product actually gets launched. But some other, other reasons for doing it are to generate some buzz for your product and 
you know, maybe you could actually launch your product months earlier, but you decide to do a longer beta test and kind of, you know, make people wait, you know, for the launch and you get more people on your list, you get some people to talk about it. And the people who actually get into your beta test feel a little more exclusive, you know, they get, you know, early access. And like uh, David mentioned earlier, you could maybe give them a, a discount. But, you know, we think one of the keys to successful beta testing is to get people who are actually serious about using your product. You don't want to just, you know, have 500 beta testers and more is not necessarily better. Yeah. So I really like what Matt Medeiros did with his conductor plugin, which he talked about in episode 24 of WPCast. So what he did is he did a discounted paid beta. So you, you would get a large discount on the final product yeah. price, but it would be a paid beta. And what he found is that the people that actually paid for it, yeah, they were just a lot more likely to actually use it and to give him useful feedback instead of him sending it for free to some people. And then they wouldn't even bother to install it because... Yeah, they just don't have any skin in the game if they're, yeah. if they're not paying for it. And the way he did it was uh, he walked around at uh, WordCamp and got people to sign up and give their credit card in person. So that's not something everybody can do easily, but it was pretty fascinating, you know, because you can just, you know, you can get a nice bump in, in cash flow, uh, you know, in one day yeah. by doing a pre-sell like that. So there's, there's that benefit to it. But I, I think getting that buzz... And getting people committed and, you know, a little excited about using your product is pretty important. And if you just kind of put out an open beta testing call, you know, you may not get as much enthusiasm out of it. Yeah. I personally always find that um, if there's some kind of beta going on, I'm like more interested in, you know, like trying to get in the beta if there's some kind of restriction or some kind of scarcity. Like if yeah. there's like a wait list or, you know, if there's or a limited beta, only. it's invite yeah. only. I usually find that if it's just something that anybody can get into, I just don't bother. It's funny how that works with human psychology, right? Yeah. You know, one one interesting example is uh, Google Wave. Uh, I don't know if, if everyone yeah. remembers that, but I was very excited to get to get my beta invite. Uh -huh. And I thought it was a really cool product. But ultimately, that may not be the best example because that product failed. Um, but I think, you know, the buzz was definitely there. And if you have a good product and you can generate the buzz, it's even better. Right. So your next uh, part of your question was about pricing. And we actually did an entire episode on pricing here on WPCast, which we're going to link up in the show notes. But um, I've got a couple of tips. So first of all, I would recommend this blog called priceintelligently.com. And this is a really, really good blog about pricing strategy, how to get the most out of your pricing, tiered pricing, you know, how should you charge? It's mostly focused on SaaS, but also if you're selling plugins or services, I think there's a lot of good information on there. And the other piece of information I would recommend is a book called Pricing with Confidence, 10 Ways to Stop Leaving Money on the Table. And I'm actually reading this book right now. And so far, I really like it. It's mostly about pricing in a B2B type of context. And in general, like one piece of advice you always hear people say in this space is you should charge more, right? Yeah. And I think, you know, it's it's kind of a blanket response. It's rare that anybody would ever tell you charge less. But, 
you know, if somebody says charge more and they're actually buying your product, that's very different than most people who say to charge more and, you know, they're not actually customers. I think I've just heard this advice too many times and you do have to be a little careful. You, you should definitely consider it. If too many people tell you you're not charging enough, that could be a problem, but you don't want to increase your price too much to the point where people think it's too expensive either because you may never get those customers back. So, you know, there's a lot of resources out there and I think you have to price based on the market and, you know, also based on, of course, what it's worth to the customer and then what it's worth to you, you have to make sure you have your own margin. So there's, you know, there's tons of factors. There's no, I don't think there's any real formula. Yeah. But one thing that we should note is that you can change your prices over time and it may be worth testing some different things. Yeah. The biggest thing with pricing is that what you want to do is you want to charge based on the value that somebody receives. So if you're making a product that saves somebody two hours per month or so, you know, you can probably get away charging $40 a month or so. So, so you yeah. that, that's a good way to think about it. So what you should not do is you're not like a, you know, somebody who makes products out of steel and, you know, it costs you $10 to make the product and you're going to sell it for $12. You know, you know like you, you don't want to, basically you don't want to base your price based on what it costs you to yeah. build it, but you want to base your price based on the value that you deliver. So one of the things that uh, he does with this product is he's got a box uh, that says, seem a little pricey, uh, some quick math. Let's say you charge $50 per hour. WP Migrate DB Pro only needs to save you four hours and a developer license is paid for itself. And it certainly will. Just look at what our customers are saying. And then it goes into some customer testimonials. So I believe, you know, when he put this in there, he saw a significant increase in conversions. So even though this is a fairly expensive plugin compared to the marketplace, the value that you get out of it is really high. And, and if you have a similar product where you may feel like you need to price it a bit higher, but it delivers great value. You really need to emphasize that value. Yeah. Let's move on to launching the last part of your question. So this does two concepts where you can launch. You can have like a big launch where you have like an email list and you have affiliates and you know, you have like a, you have like a four day kind of yeah. like, like every day you send a different email and you're doing like the internet marketing hype, like Jeff, yeah. Jeff Walker you, product launch and you formula. Close, close a launch in seven days exactly. or something like that. Like yeah, yeah. the buy now button is going to disappear. So I know this stuff works, but I, I just don't really like it. It feels really spammy and sleazy yeah. and I'm just not a big fan of that. Yeah, I think both of us are of a similar mindset. You know, we've seen a lot of this stuff. I think I've been suckered into uh, buying a few things that way. Yeah. Um, usually they're not the best product products. And, you know, I, I usually regret buying those things. And like David just said, you know, we think it's a little bit spammy. You know, if you want to do that, that's your your own uh, choice. But we recommend doing more of a, a slower rollout, you know, not trying to do like a big launch and a lot of hype. And uh, we're going to link up to an episode of Startups for the Rest of Us. Yeah, so in, in that episode, uh, so Rob uh, Walling, when he launched his strip product, he he came up with this. Well, he did this thing that he called the slow launch. And what he did is he had this email list of a few thousand people and he would, every couple of weeks, he would send like the launch email to 200 people or so. So he would make sure that there's not too many people coming in at the same yeah. time and they can fix bugs. And so I really liked that approach. And 
there is an episode that we are linking up in the show notes where around like the seven minute mark or so of that episode, Rob talks a bit about that approach. And that's what I'm personally doing. And I do like this approach. Okay, so on a last bonus point, so to say, we got a listener question from Chris from bootstrapbay.com, which is a Twitter bootstrap theme marketplace. And he's also looking at building WordPress plugins. So what he asked us was, I was wondering if you have any tips on how to be more visible in the WordPress repository. So some tips that we have is that the repository is mostly search driven. The search isn't great, but that's still the way people find plugins. So if you do some Google keyword research, you know, try to use the, the keywords that apply most to your plugin and you know, put those in your title. There's a lot of similarities to on-page SEO with Google. So you're going to want to use some keyword density in your description. Yeah, it's a lot less sophisticated than Google. So yeah, so it's, it, it can almost be yeah. like a little bit spammy with like keyword density, <laughs> like stuff that probably wouldn't yeah. work on Google anymore. It definitely yeah. works in a WordPress repository. And, you know, to uh, use tags, as most of you probably know with SEO, using the meta keywords tag does absolutely nothing for you. However, in the WordPress plugin repository, putting lots of tags for any keywords that are remotely relevant to your plugin can actually help you. Yeah. So that's why one of the things actually when you read the repository in terms of service, it says that I think you're not allowed to use more than 12 tags or so. Yeah. <laughs> Put that in there. I've, because I guess it's very easy to man manipulate. Yeah. yeah. I think I've seen I've seen plenty of plugins with uh, 20, 30 tags. Yeah, um, it's not really enforced, yeah. I think. So some other things you can do is uh, to build up some trust indicators. So having a decent number of reviews and high ratings and also to answer your support threads. So, you know, when you're looking at a plugin, there's there's some information on the side telling you how many of the recent support threads have been answered. On a related note, there's also a compatibility yeah. area where it tells you if how many people have confirmed that it's your plug the latest version of your plugin is uh, compatible with the latest version of WordPress. Yeah. So I think none of this stuff reviews compatibility, you answering support tickets, download numbers. I don't believe that any of that goes into the algorithm to determine your ranking. I might be wrong, but yeah. um I think it should go into the algorithm. So hopefully someday they're going to yeah. fix it. But it does help in terms of getting yeah. more downloads because people are just going to trust your product more. Yeah, it's it's similar to, uh, you know, with SEO, you know, just because you're getting there high in the rankings, you still want people to click and, you know, to engage with you on your site. Right. That's Same why you have the meta plugin. description in yeah. SEO. Yeah. So there are a lot of similarities to that. And, you know, like, like David said before, it's a bit easier and less competition than, than Google. Yeah. Okay, so I think that's about it for this episode. You can find links to everything that we've just mentioned uh, when you go to our website at wpcast.fm slash validation. And we would love it if you leave some comments sharing your experiences with product validation or if you have any questions, uh, you can leave comments or you can also uh, leave a voicemail on our site which will play and answer potentially even with an entire episode. Like yeah. So we really love some feedback and, you know, we're always looking for new ideas. So 
Thanks everybody for listening. Thanks for listening. You can go to wpcast.fm to download our WordPress toolbox, which contains our 50 favorite tools. We'll see you next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.